Amen. I love the phrase of that song, I will trust in His name, for my God is the Ancient of Days. When we face the ups and downs of life, the trials, the challenges, the question marks, the opposition, the evils, we can go back to the unchanging nature of our God. And one of the ways the Old Testament expresses that unchanging nature is His name. He continues to be who He said He is. He never changes. And His name gives us that sense of steadiness and trustworthiness and faithfulness. We can rely on Him. It becomes difficult to do that with the ups and downs of life. We recognize that our circumstances change. Though our God does not change, our circumstances do you can probably think back to a time in your life when you know, things were going really well, everything was on the up and up, and maybe in, if you were a believer at that time in your life, you, you know, it was easy for you to say, yeah, God is good. Man, just everything is going great. God is so faithful and good and kind. But then you face a period of time in your life when tragedy strikes, a difficulty comes, Circumstances take a turn for the the worst, and suddenly you find your same self who, you know, just a week ago maybe was saying, yes, God is so good, and now you're kind of on your knees wondering, God, are you good? (laughs) What's going on in my life? I don't understand why I'm facing this and what I'm going through. Maybe you find yourself in a place like that today where terrorized by some circumstance or by evil in your life, you find yourself wondering, God, have you changed? Are you different? Why are my circumstances this way? Well, David helps us in this psalm because he indeed is facing a circumstance like this. He, he's just been trying to do what God has told him to do. And, and yet, turn after turn, he's been betrayed and chased and sought after. In fact, Saul is trying to kill him. Right? We rarely face that kind of trial in our lives today. Maybe you've been in a scenario where somebody's literally after you trying to kill you. But this is what's happening in David's life. He's being hunted. And he turns to God in that and he says, I will trust in your name. He knows God's character has not changed. In the midst of his circumstances, God remains good. And David chooses to trust in his name. As we prepare to study this psalm, I want to pause at the beginning here and just remember what's going on in David's life. It's given to us in David's uh, title for the psalm, the, the, the introduction here, where he writes in Psalm 54, to the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David, when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? So let's think about this a little bit. The first phrase reminds us that it's for worship. It's to the chief musician. And so this was for temple worship. And the next phrase in most Bibles is translated with stringed instruments, which it's a Hebrew term that most likely means, you know, to be accompanied by stringed instruments. So our piano and uh, I think Asher was on the viola today. That qualifies for our stringed instruments uh, to accompany the psalm we sang earlier today. 
It says it's a contemplation of David. The phrase means just kind of a thoughtful reflection, a mass skill. Psalm 53 was called the same thing. David's seen something in his life and he's giving instruction based on what he's seen. And then we're told the scenario when the Ziphites went to Saul and said, Is David not hiding with us? Now, there are two occasions when the Ziphites are mentioned. First is Samuel, 1 Samuel 23. And you remember, Psalm 52, 53, and 54 all take place between 1 Samuel 22 and 26. And so this is all the same period of David's life. And in Psalm 54, the Ziphites are mentioned in 1 Samuel 23. That's the first time they're mentioned. What happens is David finds out that the city named Kela, K-E-I-L-A-H in English, is under attack from the Philistines. And, and David is the anointed king, but Saul is still on the throne. And so David's kind of in an awkward place. One of the cities he cares for is under attack, and yet he's not the king yet uh, by the nation's recognition. So what is he to do? So he inquires of the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? Wise move, David. God instructs David to go and to protect the city of Keilah. And so David goes and he fights the Philistines. And David and his men have a great victory and the city is saved. And so after the battle, David and his men retreat. They've won, but they still have to go into hiding after this victory. It's just so ironic what's going on here in Israel's history. He defeats the Philistines and they go into the hiding in what's called the wilderness of Ziph. And so they're hiding there, recovering from the battle. And the people who live in this area, you guessed it, the Ziphites. They just named you people after where they lived in that day and age, I guess. So the Ziphites lived in the wilderness of Ziph. They see David there and they go to Saul. Now Saul's been hunting David to kill him. And they go to Saul and they sort of have this like sneaky way of presenting it. They ask a question is not David hiding among us? It's kind of like this secret elbow nudge to Saul, right? You should ask us this question, Saul. Is not David hiding among us? And, you know, Saul's like, oh, he's hiding in the wilderness of Ziph. And so Saul and his men in 1 Samuel 23 come to that region. And it's actually really this intense chapter because in verse 26, for instance, of 1 Samuel 23, it says that Saul's men had actually surrounded David's men. I don't think they could actually see them. There are hills and trees and so forth, but they had them entirely surrounded. And David and his men knew there's, there's no getting out of this. As their circle gets smaller, we're trapped. But God provides. The Philistines attack another city and word comes to Saul. Come, you have to help this other city being attacked by the Philistines. And Saul and his men leave. And David and his men are okay. It's in the very next chapter, interestingly, that David has the opportunity to kill Saul. Saul steps away into a cave and David is hiding in that very cave and he could kill Saul. And all he does is cut his robe a little bit and later has the chance to prove, I, I'm not trying to kill you. I, I, I'm not. I, all I did was cut your robe when I had the chance to kill you. Saul continues to chase him. And a couple chapters later in 26, 
we encounter the Ziphites again. Now, we could probably uh, say, David, maybe not the best place to hide a second time if the Ziphites turned you in already. But the same thing happens. David's hiding in the wilderness of Ziph, and the Ziphites come to Saul and do this same thing. Is not David hiding among us? And Saul knows this is where David is, and he comes. Interestingly, God provides again, and David escapes, and immediately following that same event has another chance to kill Saul. Saul and his men are asleep and David sneaks into the camp with some of his men and steals Saul's spear. Saul wakes up and realizes what has happened and David has not killed him. Twice the Ziphites betrayed David and yet God cared for David and even gave an opportunity to show Saul, David's not trying to kill you, Saul. You can stop chasing him. So this is sort of the context of the Ziphites. Strangers to David, just where he was hiding, and they turn him into Saul and betray him, and then Saul and his men come twice now to attack David and his men. And yet, David has the opportunity to see the firsthand faithfulness of God. God protects him even in the midst of that time. And so we're going to think about this in, t- in these terms today. When terrorized by evildoers, trust in the name of the Lord. Twice David is betrayed by the Ziphites and then attacked by Saul. And I think the psalm actually has both groups in view. He'll reference the Ziphites, and I think he also references Saul and his men. So David's being terrorized by these betrayers who are after him. And yet, David trusts in God's name. And this is the desire for us as we come to this psalm today, to learn what it is to trust in God's name no matter what happens in our circumstances or in our lives. How do we learn to trust in God's name? Now, I want to think specifically about the application here. Sometimes in our lives, we we can take on this victim mentality and, and we can do this any time, you know, we just sort of butt heads with somebody. They want something different than I want. Oh, I'm being, you know, persecuted by this person. Well, what's going on here with David is a very unique scenario. He's been anointed by God to be king. And God is giving him clear instructions. Yes, go protect the city of Calah. Now go to this region. Now hide here. And so David's in a unique circumstance where he's intentionally doing what God has called him to do. He's being obedient and still being mistreated and betrayed. So this psalm most directly applies to those times in our lives where we're just seeking to do what God wants us to do, and we're facing evil and opposition. And so this is what we want to focus on. Maybe it's a scenario where at work your supervisor or your boss is pressing you to be dishonest about the numbers or about the product or about something else. It's, you know, it's just not a big deal. It'll help the business get for you know, people don't care about those details. Just, you know, make some adjustments for me, your boss might say. But you stand up and say, I, I can't do that. I've got to be honest. I've got to have integrity. And then there are, there's pressure, there's difficulty, there's challenges at work. Maybe it has to do with faithfulness at church. People in different venues, whether that's sports or otherwise, say, yeah, come on, you've got to be here for this thing, for this event. Ah, I need to be at church. I need to be faithful. I need to do what God has called me to do. 
And so there's resistance, there's pressure, there's persecution. There are these times in our lives when we may face this like David. Thankfully, very few of us can ever say we've been sought after to to be put to death for our faith. And so David instructs us well what it means to trust in the Lord when terrorized by evildoers. The first thing we notice David do is that he asks for help based on God's name. This is how he opens Psalm 54. He says, Save me, O God, by your name. He calls upon God to help based on the name of God. And as we mentioned, God's name represented His his character, His reputation, His nature, what God is like. That's all wrapped up in that concept of His name. And so, based on God's nature, David calls upon God to save him, to help him. It's a direct request to God. He wants to be saved from physical death. Remember, one of the times the Ziphites betrayed him, it results in David being completely surrounded and likely facing sure death. And so David cries out to God, by your name, by your faithfulness, by your goodness, by your righteousness, all that represents the character of God, David wants to be saved. He asks for salvation. But he also wants to be vindicated. This is the second phrase. Vindicate me by your strength. It means to to judge, for God to look at the scenario and to bring to light what is right and what is wrong. David knows that God has anointed him to be king. And David knows that he's not not really trying to kill Saul. So David is sort of just laying himself out there before the Lord and saying, "I've, I've tried to do the right thing. I've tried to do what you want. And so bring it all to light. Show, reveal what's really going on here. And that I'm trying to please you and do that by your strength, he says. Again, another attribute of God, another character trait of God, God's strength. And indeed, God's strength will bring all things to light. It's a great thing to pray. God will bring all things to light. You can't pray that without also being thankful for the forgiveness that God has offered to us through his son. So David asked the Lord to save him by his name and to vindicate him, to bring all things to light by God's strength. Verse 2 just strengthens the plea. David asked God to hear, Hear my prayer, O God, give ear to the words of my mouth. It's not that David thinks God isn't listening. If David thought God wasn't listening, he wouldn't be praying in the first place. He he knows God is listening. This is just adding urgency and intensity to his request. Oh, please. It's kind of like saying that. We do that in our language today. It adds urgency. It adds intensity. Hear my prayer, oh God. David knows that God listens and is hearing him. But he's asking this with urgency. Verse 3, he identifies the problem. Strangers have risen up against me. The strangers probably refers to the Ziphites, people that he does not know. He's hiding in this wilderness, this land, and people that he's never harmed. He's never done them any wrong. In fact, he just saved a nearby city. And yet, these strangers, these Ziphites, just turn on him and betray him. Completely unexpected. And so he says, strangers have risen up against me. 
But the next phrase, I think, talks about Saul and his men. Oppressors have sought after my life. The word oppressor has to do with violence and even shaking, sometimes translated with the word terror. So that's why I've used the word terrorized in our theme today. It comes from that word, oppressors. They're violent. They're they're seeking to take David's life. This is no small argument here. This is not just like a little, little you know, debate here that just needs to be resolved. No, Saul's trying to kill him. And so David brings this urgent plea to God. Hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. Oppressors are seeking to kill me. And he lumps them both together with the final phrase of verse 3. They have not set God before them. Again, David's recognizing, I'm just trying to do what the Lord has called me to do. God is before my eyes, is kind of what David is saying. And these who are trying to kill me and trying to put me to death, they have no regard for God. They're not living according to God's ways. They're not doing what God has commanded. They're ignoring the word and instruction of God, just doing what they want. And so here in the psalm, David inserts this pause for reflection. This is his prayer. Oh God, save me by your name. David knows that the Lord is good and faithful. He never changes. And even though his circumstances are horrible, he takes this request to God and based on the faithfulness of God, asks God to save him and to help him. He asks for help based on God's name. Our culture has developed a sense of reputation, building a name for oneself. This is especially true in the business world. We live in the age of internet reviews, right? Before you go to a restaurant or before you buy a product, uh, many people like to read reviews to find out what this product is really like. How does it work? Is the food any good? We read Reviews And these reviews are meant to build a reputation for a business or for a product or for a restaurant. It's to build up the name of that organization. I remember trying to buy something on Amazon one time, and it was an incredibly cheap price. I thought, wow, this is fantastic. I better read some reviews before I purchase this. So I scroll down the page and get to some of the reviews. And I I don't remember exactly what I was purchasing. I wish I could, uh, but I don't remember exactly what it was. But I got to the first review and I began reading the review. This product is excellent. It's met all my needs. I've never had a better bucket. Well, I I was not shopping for a bucket. I can tell you that much, okay? (laughs) That was not what the item was at the top of the page. Well, that's really strange. This guy's impressed with his bucket, but that's not what I want to receive. So if I order this, I could get a really nice bucket. Good. So I began to read other reviews, and review after review referred to this bucket that they really enjoyed. I don't know if they were made-up reviews or if somehow the reviews got connected to the wrong product, but I thought, you know what? I'm not going to buy this item because I don't want to receive a bucket, even if it is really good. <laughs> and so we moved on. But it was sneaky because the reviews were all, you know, four stars, five stars. This is a great bucket. Well, good. <laughs> not what I want to order. 
My, uh, my roof had some damage to it from some wind not long ago. And uh, so I was trying to decide what to do, how to repair it, what to, what to fix and so forth. And so I called my insurance company and said, hey, do you have roofers that you recommend in the area? And they gave me the name of a company, uh, a local company that uh, they found to be trustworthy. And so I called, I called him up and asked him to come look at it and see what he thought and so he came out and brought his ladder and he went up on the roof and took a look at it and came back down. He said, you know, it was just one shingle. I just went ahead and glued it down for you with some tar and it should hold for now until you decide what you want to do. And I said, oh, wow, thank you so much. What do I owe you for that? I mean, how much, how much do you want? I, I just so appreciate you fixing that. Uh, so water's not coming. He said, you know what? Don't even worry about it. Just give me a good Google review. Okay, I can do that, right? Man, that was great service. He didn't even charge me for the repair. All he wanted was a review. Why? Because that's sort of become part of the currency of our economy today. If somebody's reputation is good, they'll purchase their product or go after their business. This sort of gives us the sense of someone's name, their reputation, their character. With God, His name is perfect. He never changes. And so when we come to Him, we ask on the basis of His name. We could read all sorts of Bible reviews of the character of God and how He's proved Himself over and over and over. And so we say, I can trust this one. I'll go to Him based on His name. He's reputable. He's trustworthy. He never fails. And I can ask him for help. Now, we need to pause briefly and think about our relationship to God's name. David here calls on the name of the Lord with confidence. Save me, O God. He he has relationship with God. And for David, that was through what was called the Mosaic Covenant. David had believed God and was living out that faith according to the laws of the Old Testament, that covenant relationship with God. And so David could could see himself as being right with God through the covenant. I'm, I'm living by the covenant. I'm obeying the covenant. I can call out to God. But what then does that look like for us today? Do we have the right to call upon God, to call upon Him based on His name? The New Testament is clear that Jesus has made for us a new and better way, not through the Mosaic Covenant, but as the one who fulfilled the law of God. He came to offer salvation in His name, because there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is Jesus alone. So the question then is, Have we trusted in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who died for us and rose again? That's today how we have relationship with God, how we have the right to come before Him and call upon His name. In fact, the book of Hebrews draws this picture so clearly for us in chapter 4. It reminds us that when we deserve no opportunity to come before God, we've been given a better way to access His throne. 
The author of Hebrews says this in verse 12 of chapter 4, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's difficult news to hear. So the word of God reveals the sin in my heart and life. And so verse 13, God sees all of this. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So this is a good reminder for us that on our own, we have no right to access the name of God, to come before him and make requests. In fact, the name of God would demand our punishment He sees everything. It's all laid open before him. And so I then become lumped into this category of evildoers who deserve God's judgment and justice, whose name should come down upon me in punishment. So this is where we stand based on the truth of God's word and by our own works as evildoers deserving the justice that God's name brings. But there's hope. God sent His Son, Jesus, to die in my place, in your place, to pay for my sins and your sins, so that if I trust in His name, His name covers my name. And God now looks on me as His Son. God sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness of God. And suddenly, my name becomes acceptable before God. And I'm moved from the category of evildoers to the category of His Son. I am in Christ. And that's what He talks about then in verses 14 and 15. Jesus becomes my high priest. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. The sinless one, it's his name that gives us access to the Father's throne. So verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So friends, we can ask God for help on the basis of His name. But it's not because of anything we've done to earn that position. It's because the Lord Jesus Christ has paid for our sins, died, rose again, and that those who trust in Him for salvation have access in the name of Jesus to the Father's throne to ask with boldness for His help. Imagine that. Now, friend, it may be that You are not in right relationship with the name of God who is righteous and holy and just. It may be that as you look at your name and the things you've done, you realize that there are some things that were wrong. You've sinned. Know that in your name, you have no right to approach a holy God. But Jesus offers you His name today. If you trust in Him as Savior, admit to God, my name's not worthy to come before your throne, but I accept your offer of salvation in Christ. I want His name in place of mine. Friend, if you trust in Christ today, you gain access in the name of Jesus to our Father in heaven so that you too can ask for His help in the name of Jesus. What a privilege! to come before the throne of God in the name of His Son and to ask for help. 
So if you've trusted in the name of Christ who died for you and rose again, then come before the throne of the Father with confidence. Ask for help in the name of Christ, not because you deserve it, but because of God's nature, because of His name, because He does not change, because He's faithful and He's good and He's just and He's the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we come with confidence, not because I deserve to be there. We come with confidence because of Jesus. We say, oh, Father, please, I need your help. Save me by the name of your Son who died for me and rose again. Help me in this scenario. I want to please you. Give me wisdom. Give me help. Give me direction. Protect me. Give me strength. Glorify your name in my life. We ask based on his character. So in those times that you don't feel like you even have the right to come before his throne, remember the name of his Son. Jesus. Those times when you feel like you've messed up too much and you can't ask him for help this time, remember the name of his son and come and ask him for help. When you're wondering whether he's good or whether he'll actually help you, remember his name. It is true and righteous altogether. Come, ask for help. This is where it begins for us to ask in his name. David then, in the second section, he renews his confidence in the name of God. He renews his confidence in the name of God. In verses 4 and 5, it's almost like his prayer has ended here, and now he's instructing the reader, he's instructing us. And so he says to us, behold. And so this opening statement is meant to grab our attention. Listen, I'm about to tell you something helpful. Behold, God is my helper. This is, again, relation to God's name, another aspect of God's character. He is helper. The sense of the word helper is that it's one who can do something that the person in need can't do. And that's exactly where David is. He's stuck. There's no escape. So he calls upon God, God, you must do what I cannot do. And David says with confidence, God is my helper. That's what God is like. He's a helper comes to us in our time of need. God delights to show this about himself, to help those in need. He's a rescuer. That's who God is. The second half of verse 4 in the New King James is translated this way, the Lord is with those who uphold my life. And the Hebrew construction is a little bit difficult. There are two ways to translate this. New King James is accurate. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. So what it means is God is the ultimate helper who's helping those who are helping David, right? So the ones who are helping and protecting David, God is the one who ultimately is helping them. And so David's sort of seeing God as the source of his help and his strength. And maybe he's thinking of his, his men, his, his uh, mighty men that are with him, you know. And so David's looking at God helping his helpers. But there's another way to translate this, and it could be simply that the Lord is the one who upholds my life. And I lean towards that translation because I think it aligns better with what David is saying here. That God is the one truly who helps him, who upholds his soul, who protects his life. Either way, the message is clear. Whether we are getting helped through people or through others or through situations, the point is that God ultimately is the source of our help. It all comes from him. He's the one who upholds our lives and protects our souls. 
Verse 5, he expresses confidence that God will repay his enemies. The idea of this word is that the evil that they're trying to accomplish will sort of roll back on them. You could think of somebody like, you know, pushing a big rock up a hill or something, and then it rolls back on top of them. Sort of what David has in mind here. The evil they're trying to accomplish, I know, Lord, you will cause that to fall back on them. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to cut him off. And so David says at the end of verse 5, cut them off in your truth. Again, this is all based on God's truth. David is asking God to do what is good and what is right. God, let your truth win this debate, win this battle. David is seeking to be obedient to the Lord. And so with confidence, he can say, Lord, you do what is right here. They're trying to take my life. And I know you've anointed me to be king. So you repay them for their evil. You save me in the midst of this time. David renews his confidence in God's name. God's his helper. God's the one who upholds his life. And God is the one who upholds the truth. And so David calls upon God based on his name to do these things in his own life. As we continue to think about names and reputations, once we've developed a degree of trust for a brand name, for instance, right, we are more inclined to purchase from that company. Maybe you've found a, a line of tools that you really trust, right? Man, it's just faithful tools. They always work. They're just, I'm, I'm always going to buy that brand. And you know, they often have color-coded you know, systems that you can follow. And so all your tools are yellow or red or some other color. I don't know, just pick some random ones there. But... Or maybe it's a, a brand of kitchenware, or maybe it's a brand of clothing that lasts really well. Whatever it is, right? We, we sort of can get used to a certain brand. We like the way it works. We like the way it functions. We develop confidence in that brand name. I have recently developed more confidence in a brand of lawnmower, and you're all going to be dying for me to tell you what brand, but I don't want to make this an advertisement today, so I won't do that. You can ask me afterwards. Uh, but I'm, I'm using, I, I told someone else's story earlier this week, so sorry for the repeat here, but I'm using a lawnmower that I used in high school to mow my dad's lawn. It was made in 1995, which I know doesn't seem like that long ago, but it's 2022 now, so that's, you know, it's getting up there. That's an old lawnmower, and it's still running. Well, sure, you've got to change the oil, and you've got to do some things to it, change the spark plug every now and then, the air filter, and give it an overhaul. Well, just the other day, my faithful lawnmower bit the dust. I know. Yeah, don't you feel bad for me? Talk about oppression of evildoers here. <laughs> Halfway through mowing my lawn, it quits. Oh, what am I going to do? So I park it in my driveway and get my tools out and start tearing into this thing. What is wrong with it? I even had to call Pastor Ryan to get his opinion on what was going on with my engine. And so I start pulling it apart and I'm cleaning different parts and tearing it up. My neighbors are starting to gather, you know, like vultures around it. No, no, no. Uh, but uh, my neighbors are starting to get, what are you doing to your lawnmower? You know, I was like, well, I, I, I just, you know, I've grown attached to this thing. I want to see it keep running. So tried to fix it, clean the carburetor, all this stuff. Finally, it starts running. All right, it's going again. 
but it's running at like half speed. So I still need to figure out what's going on there. But uh, that 95 lawnmower, I'm going to keep it going as long as I can. Why? Because it's become trustworthy in my eyes, right? It's earned my respect. It's a brand name. It's like, yeah, that must be a good engine right there. Who knows? It'll probably die tomorrow afternoon when I try to mow my lawn. We do this with products, but pause for a moment and reflect on the name of God. Is there a better place to put our confidence? We, we search the scriptures and see that time after time after time after time after time after time, His name is proved trustworthy. So part of this process of trusting His name is renewing our confidence in His name. That's why it's so important for us to get back in the Word and to read again and again and again what He's like and that He never fails and that He's always good and that He is faithful and He comes through and He's true and He's righteous and steadfast in His love and so on and so forth. The list could go, but part of this process of trusting in His name is remembering what His name stands for. He has never failed. He's never failed. And so part of trusting Him is renewing our confidence, going back to what we know about Him. We know from Scripture that He is good and He is mighty. In fact, in the family service today, I hope you'll stick around and join us for that. We're going to look at a few of the names of God and what they mean. We'll consider those together. We cling to the promises that flow out of His name. You see, it's the character of God that assures us of His promises. What good is a promise from someone who's not trustworthy? But because God is who He is, His promises are sure. And so when He says that we can trust in the name of Christ for salvation, He means it. We can trust in the name of Christ for salvation. When He says that He is faithful, we can trust Him. When He says that He'll never leave us or forsake us, we can trust Him because of His name. This helps us in life to focus on the name of God. One of our memory verses as a church recently was Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. God's name, His character is trustworthy. The strong tower. I want help in my life? Run to His name. Run to what He's like and His character. Look back at the Word and what it says. So I encourage you to do this in your own personal life. Focus on the nature of God. In your own time with God, meditate on what He's like. In fact, really, this is the whole purpose. I don't know if you have any personal time with God. If you read the Bible on a regular basis, I would encourage you to do that and to do it specifically to know Him, to know what He's like, to come away from every passage thinking to yourself, what does this tell me about God? What do I learn about His name and His faithfulness and His trustworthiness? What do I see of what God is like in this passage? And to, to just come away delighting in what He is like. This is what we do when we gather as a church. We gather to display and delight in His character, in His glory. This is why we sing songs that reflect the truth of His Word. This is why we spend so much time preaching the Scriptures, because we want to know God. We want to see His name, be reminded of our confidence in Him as we face 
the stuff of life. David concludes the psalm in verses 6 and 7. And here, he chooses to praise the name of God. It's interesting because the, the problem has not fully been resolved yet. If this really is from 1 Samuel chapter 26, we know that David still has a few chapters of trouble with Saul. And so the problem's not resolved. And yet, in verse 6 and 7, David chooses to praise God. He chooses to rejoice in the Lord. He says in verse 6, I will freely sacrifice to you. It's his choice. Nobody's compelling him. It's, he freely wants to worship God. It's not a sacrifice because of some sin where David's just trying to you know, cover the sin that he's committed. No, he says, I freely want to sacrifice to you. I, just, I choose to worship you, God, even though his circumstance has not changed yet. The second phrase says, I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. He's being hunted, but God's name has not changed. And so David says, I will praise your name. Your name is good. Evildoers are terrorizing me, seeking to take my life. But I will look to you, Lord, and I will praise you. I will worship your name, for it is good. What a choice from David here, even while he's still suffering. In verse 7, the New King James again translates this, for he has delivered me out of all trouble. And that's accurate. There's a pronoun there that could either be he has delivered or it could be it has delivered. And it really makes no difference at all. I'm pointing it out simply because I think it really should be It has delivered me out of all trouble. Referring back to the name from the previous phrase. I will will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. That's the last thing referred to. For it is good, for it has delivered me out of all trouble. Now, it really doesn't matter. The name represents God, and God's the one who's delivered him. So again, it's no difference at all which way we translate it. But I think David is drawing this thread of the name of God. God's name is good, and it has been faithful. God's character, God's nature has been faithful to deliver David out of his trouble. All trouble. And the end of verse 7, David's eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. The idea is that David has seen God triumph over these evildoers. Now, he hasn't seen it yet in this scenario. So likely David's looking back to previous times in his life when he's seen God give him the victory. Maybe he thinks of Goliath. Maybe he thinks of the recent victory over the Philistines at the city of Cala. I don't know. But David's thinking back to previous victories. I have seen God triumph over the evildoers. My eye has seen his victory. And so David trusts the name of the Lord Even though his resolution hasn't come yet, he chooses to praise God even though he's still in a trial. Right now, the NBA Finals are going on. I think it's the Warriors and the Celtics. And uh, the series had come to a point where the Celtics were ahead. Uh, the Warriors are the slight, the team with the slight advantage, the, the favored team, or whatever you call that. 
and so the Celtics are the underdogs, but they're ahead in the series, or were, and so everyone was sort of looking to one player to see what would happen. You probably know his name, Steph Curry, plays for the Warriors. And everyone wondered, would, would he be able to lead the Warriors to victory? And so you had the, the deep fans of the Warriors thinking, oh, just watch. Steph Curry is going to pull this thing out. He's going to give them the win and even the series. And you know, we'll see what happens, who wins the whole thing eventually. But in, in listening to all this banter about Steph Curry, it reminded me of uh, some former days watching a famous Bulls player and having similar kind of thoughts. Other teams would get up in the series, and I sort of remember thinking smugly to myself, yeah, MJ will pull it out. I mean, he'll, he's going to win. There's really no question, right? I mean, sure, they're down now, but he'll, he'll make something happen, and they're going to win, Big-name players like this, we, we do this often with them. And sure enough, Steph Curry had a, had a uh, you know, record-breaking game and uh, brought the Warriors to victory to even the series. So we'll, we'll see how it ends. But uh, fans have a tendency to place a lot of faith in these big-name players. Ah, they'll pull it out. They'll carry the team to victory no matter what happens. And it's just an illustration of when the series is down, right? It's not looking good for our team. And yet there's confidence in this one player to still pull out the victory. This is sort of an example of what David does with God here. David has not yet seen the victory of his present scenario. And yet he chooses to worship and praise his God. Because he knows God's name is good. God will do what is right. God will pull him through this. God will do what supports the truth. What is good, what brings him glory. God will save the day. And so David trusts in God even in the midst of his trial. Worship is a huge part of our trust in the Lord. Choosing to worship even when we don't feel like it, even when our circumstances have not changed, to choose to trust the Lord. For many of us, this is a huge missing piece in our Christian lives. We want emotions to lead our worship instead of worship shaping our emotions. This is the correct biblical order. Worship shapes our emotions. We worship first because God deserves it, because His name is good. And then that worship reshapes me. It forms me into His image. This is what worship is meant to do. And so worship is a commitment. It's not a feeling. We'll have times when we feel up. Of times we feel down, and yet in both times, the name of the Lord is good and deserves to be praised. So in your personal life, choose to worship. I don't know what this might look like for you, but maybe on a daily basis, you have some time carved out to worship God. In prayer, simply praise Him for His attributes, rather than making requests of Him. Just just to praise Him for a time. Or, or maybe if you like music, you, you pause to sing a song. Just you and the Lord. Maybe in your car and the driver next to you thinks you've lost your mind. Whatever. But sing. 
Worship. Worship the Lord. Maybe it's meditating on his word and just pausing to reflect and delight in what your God is like. So worship is a, is a personal thing. Also in our families we worship. We can do that together to talk of him. And sometimes we over-formalize it, but worship can be as simple as delighting in him together. What, what have you been reminded of recently that's just amazing about God? What have you read about him recently? What are you studying in Scripture? What, what's God been teaching you? And so we talk and share a little bit and together as a family delight in God. That's worship. And of course, worship is corporate. Where we as His people, those who trusted in the name of Christ, gather to praise our God no matter how we're feeling. And this is a part of the joy of worship that in a well-lit room we can look across the aisle and see our brothers and sisters in Christ singing praise to God. And we know so-and-so is going through that health trial and we know this person has lost a loved one recently and yet... Here they are, singing to God at the top of their lungs, and our hearts are encouraged as well as we see and hear the voices of God's people singing His praise. Worship, whether we feel like it or not, the name of the Lord is good. And so we worship. We encourage one another to do the same. When terrorized by evildoers, friend, you can trust in the name of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your name. We praise you. You are worthy to be praised. You are almighty God, and you have chosen by your steadfast love to send your son Jesus, that we might come before your throne in his name. We praise you for that. And as we meditate and worship you in in light of these things today, may we be a people who trust in your name, that the name of Jesus would be magnified in this church, in our families, in our personal lives, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, that, that all would come to know that his is the name above all names. And so we ask for your help as we seek to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.